Good morning, Christ Church. Good to be with you this morning. Good morning to all of you online and in the upper room. Good to worship with you this morning. I hope you had a Merry Christmas. Did you have a good time? Good, enjoyable, excellent. You had a nice, enjoyable time. Well, we hope you had all that fun, that festivities, and hope that this morning it's a chance to catch your breath a little bit. Because of the busy seasons of the holidays, it's a chance, though, to step back and to prepare our hearts for the new year, because we got New Year's coming up. And so this morning, we're hoping to take that time and that intentionality to center ourselves on our faith, on God's Word, on what matters in our lives as a people. And so to help us do that, we're starting a new sermon series uh, on the book of Second John. I'm Pastor Andrew, one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and uh, this sermon series that we're about to dive into is very short. It's just going to be this week and next week, two weeks. And during these two weeks, at the end of the two weeks, you'll actually be able to say that you've read an entire book of the Bible. Not too bad, right? Now, if you pull out your little half sheet or if you're following, you got an online, you got your app up, if you turn to a Bible, if you've got a Bible, you'll notice that the book of 2 John, the book that we're going to study, actually fits the whole thing, fits on a half sheet. So it's a very small book of the Bible, but a very important book of the Bible that helps establish and ground us in our faith. So here's the homework. I can give you your homework right up front. The homework is... Read the book before the end of next week. By the time we get back together, take time, take the half sheet, go on to Dot Life, go to this Sunday, and you can actually get the sermon notes and everything right there on your app or on the phone. Uh, You can send yourself, you can take notes in there and send it. You can email those notes to yourself as well. Um, I encourage you, read the book of 2 John between this week and next Sunday. Sound good? Sound like a plan? Maybe. You're all going to think on it. Okay, all right. Well... It is a small book of the Bible, but a meaningful book of the Bible. For those of you who are new to the Christian faith, or if you're not familiar with your Bible, you might have had one sitting around in your home. It sat up on the top bookshelf collecting dust for years, and it was so big you never actually opened it. It's intimidating, and it's because you don't know where to start with the Bible. This hopefully will help you understand a little bit more about where the Bible comes from. The Bible is actually not just one book, but the Bible is a collection of books. In Greek, the word biblio is little library. That's where we get the word Bible from, little library. The Bible is a little library, a collection of God's stories, how God has interacted with and engaged with people throughout time that have been meaningful and powerful that have been shared among God's people. And so they collected these together, these manuscripts and these these different pieces. And it's all sorts of stuff. Stuff like poetry is in there. Songs are in there. There's, there's, There's rules about how to govern and how to lead and how to serve. And there's stuff and there are down to sanitation practices. I mean, the Bible's absolutely chock full of all sorts of different types of literature. And towards the end of the Bible, towards the back of the Bible, there's a few uh, more pronounced and unique uh, types of literature. Uh, there are something that we call the Gospels. Those are firsthand eyewitness accounts that have been written down about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then right following the Gospels, uh, there's a selection of writings that are letters. Letters. As in like old school mailbox. You guys, you guys remember sending letters like with stamps and stuff? Every kid is like, what's a letter? Like you wrote it down? Yes. So like there's this thing out there called a letter where you would actually go and send correspondence 
across the world, and it would be a message to somebody far away that would be meaningful to them. And believe it or not, the Bible is chocked full of letters. Second John, the book of Second John, is actually the letter of Second John. John wrote three different letters. We're looking at the second of the letters that's housed within the Bible. It's pretty remarkable, actually. It makes sense that letters were being sent and letters were being influential in the Christian church as a way to help convey and capture our Christian faith. It makes sense when you get a sense of how Christianity began and in the context of the letter. Let me give you some ideas on what I'm talking about. First off, if you look at the map there, this is a picture of the Greco-Roman world. Okay, This is the ancient world. This is where Christianity kind of got birthed and started. If you look on the lower right-hand side, you'll see Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course, is in Israel. Modern day, you can go to Jerusalem. Pastor Bob's taking a trip in 2020. If it's on your bucket list, get ready for it. But you can go to Jerusalem where the story of Jesus tangibly took place. But the story of Jesus traveled over many miles to the far top left corner, kitty corner, to Rome and everywhere in between. Although Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected in Jerusalem, his followers took his story and his message and spread it all over, there you can see it, all over the Mediterranean Sea. You'll notice that there are a bunch of uh, cities that are located on that map. Those are megachurches. Megachurches are not new. Megachurches have been around for a long time. Uh, these are all megachurches in the ancient world. These are early megachurches that the Christian church kind of began with and really had some momentum behind. So you might recognize some of them. For example, Corinth. If you've ever heard of Corinth in Greece, the letters to the Corinthians, which are in the Bible, they were letters written to the church in Corinth. Uh, Ephesus, uh, the letter to the Ephesians, was written to the church that was residing in in Ephesus. Letters were the way in which the early church remained connected, the way in which the early church uh, continued to foster and encourage the Christian faith. So mail was actually really, really important to your Christian faith. If you're a Christian, mail is really important. Now, Mail has been important for a long time, as we can see from here. I mean, it, it certainly has changed over time. But to give you a sense of how important mail is, even to this very day, the way in which you can have influence and, and send messages across mail, to give, you a, to give you an idea, here's a statistic that I looked up this week. Do you know how much mail is currently still used? I mean, it's not like mail has gone away. I know we have email. Like, I realize that the bulk of our correspondence is done in email. But mail is still very much so an influential way to carry message. The postal services process and deliver 493.4 million mail pieces per day. That's an average of 20.6 million per hour, 342,638 per minute, 5,711 mail pieces processed every single second. Mail, letters are important then and now because of what they're able to do. Bind us and unite us across time and space. 
And that, in large part, is what the letters found in the Bible, like Second John, do. The letter of Second John begins, and we know that it's a letter with a very simple statement. This is a letter from John, the elder. That's how you know it's a letter. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. That's how it begins. This is a letter from John, the elder. We believe that John wrote actually not one letter to the Christian church, but actually three different letters that he sent out to churches. And he also probably penned the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, again, is that firsthand account. John the Elder uh, is someone who was close to Jesus. John spent time with Jesus. John ate with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He traveled with Jesus. He saw Jesus' ministry happen firsthand, up close, nitty-gritty, in the person, in the flesh. He actually participated and was a witness in in the resurrection, in Jesus' ministry, in all these incredible and amazing things that Jesus did. So John is a very, very influential person in the early church because of his proximity to Jesus Christ and the story of Jesus. And so as someone who has a great measure of authority, he wrote and influenced churches through these letters. Uh, John, you might, you might have heard, if you ever read the Gospel of John, there's, there's a, a term in there, a phrase used called the beloved disciple. Uh, we think that that's a reference to this person, John, John the Elder. Uh, those of you who have a Catholic background and an Orthodox background, we actually just celebrated the feast day of St. John. Uh, it was on uh, December 27th. It just came. Like, like three days ago was the feast day of St. John. John is a very influential and prominent person in the early church. Uh, he was one of the 12 disciples. Uh, John would have been one of those people who carried the message to that Mediterranean world. Him and those who listened to him would have carried the message of Jesus to that Mediterranean world. The way that it worked in terms of planting churches, starting churches, is that it actually started with what's called house churches. You guys ever heard of a house church? You ever heard that term before? House church. It it basically means a church in a house. That's where you had church. They didn't have formal buildings like we do now. It was too young. It was too new. This whole Christian thing was still getting going. And so people like John, Paul, Silas, these other characters that when we read the Bible we learn about, would travel all over the ancient Roman Greek world. And as they would travel to different towns, they would tell people about Jesus. And they would gather people in private homes. They would gather people in private homes. Here's an example where you can just see a picture of that, where you can see uh, people were living, and then you'd kind of have people gathering in that center place where they would listen to somebody like John the Elder talk and preach and tell you about Jesus. And so John, Paul, Silas, all these other really influential early Christians went out into that world, met with all of these house churches, traveled to all these different cities, And really, more or less, started the Christian movement as we know it today. But in the midst of starting that Christian movement, not everything went easy-peasy and smooth. There was actually a lot of confusion that was generated as Christianity began to gain momentum. As Christianity gained momentum, the confusion around what we believe, what we think, who is Jesus actually got multiplied. 
You see, just as John, Paul, Silas, and all these other really influential pastors early on were traveling around, there are a bunch of other guys traveling around saying a bunch of other stuff about Jesus. It sounds really silly, but anyone remember a, a high school and in a history class, there was, there was a thing you studied, you did like one lecture on it. It's called the Second Great Awakening in United States History. Anyone remember that term? Nobody remember. Thank you. One. All right. So there's this thing called the Second Great Awakening that happened actually here in the United States. There's the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening, uh, where the whole idea of like tent revivals became a thing. You guys know that? Tent revivals thing? Where, like people in the town would, would gather together, they'd put up a tent, and a guy from out of town would come in, set up that tent, preach to everybody, and then put the tent down, pack it up, and move to the next place. It happened here in the United States, and it's actually patterned off of what took place in the early church. Itinerant preachers would travel all over the world preaching about Jesus. But in doing so, those itinerant preachers brought their own spin, their own thoughts, their own backdrop, their own values and culture, and may not have had the same authority as someone like John, who actually broke bread with Jesus. And so they started introducing other thoughts and ideas that people like John weren't jiving with. Let me give you an example in, the old, uh, in, in how this worked in, in ancient world. You're a Christian. You're new to this whole Christian faith thing. You get together in the church, in, the, in this little house church, and you, you hear somebody's coming to tell you about Jesus. So you get together and you go there, and this guy comes, and he says, okay, everybody, I'm a Christian, and I'm a Jewish guy. And if you're a Christian, like you believe in Jesus, you also have to practice the faith Jesus practiced, so you have to get circumcised and be a good Jew. And all the guys stood up straight and said, what? I didn't know that was part of the plan. I did not sign up for the whole circumcision thing. And so you had this sect of uh, Christianity that said, in order to be a good Christian, you had to follow Jewish laws and Jewish practices. Or you had Roman uh, Christians Roman Christians, some of them, uh, Rome had a whole bunch of gods. It was okay to have a whole bunch of gods. And so you just worship all the gods. You could like worship this guy on Monday, that guy on Tuesday, that guy on Thursday, whatever, right? And now this new guy comes to town. He says, hey, there's Jesus. We got to worship Jesus. You're like, all right, that's cool. Just put him up with all the other gods. He's just one of many gods. And so these guys would run around saying, yes, you can worship, you know, Jesus on Sunday and then Caesar on Monday. And that's cool. And that began to influence Christianity. Or you have the Greeks. The Greeks began to say things like, oh, you know what? You can be a Christian and practice certain philosophies. You had to live according to certain code and, and, and sayings. And it was really big into sayings and what things meant when you said things in Greek philosophy. And so you could be a Christian and a Greek philosopher. Things just frankly got confusing. It shouldn't surprise us because believe it or not, we wrestle with the exact same confusions today. Like, you deal with them. The same confusing stuff that John had to deal with when he wrote the letter. Let me give you an example. You ever met a Christian who says you have to, in order to be a Christian, 
pray a certain prayer, speak in tongues, or jump through a specific hoop. You ever met that kind of Christian? You have to do things according to X, Y, Z in order to be on the inside club? No different than the Jewish Christians that came before. Or have you met a Christian who said, yeah, you can worship Jesus, and on Sunday you can do that, while you can do Buddha, and you can do Islam, and you can do all the other world religions that are out there. You can just worship them all. It doesn't really matter who you worship or when you worship. You can kind of be a little bit of everything. You ever met somebody like that today? I, meet, I feel like I meet them all the time. And let me give you another example. Uh, how many of you, you're going to love this, how many of you have seen, heard of, or read the book called The Da Vinci Code? Hands up, throw them up, it's okay, it's cool. All right. The Da Vinci Code has caused more confusion in modern day times than any other thing that I can think of, frankly. More than anything. The Da Vinci Code is really a very confusing piece because if those of you who have read it, those of you who watched the movie, it's not a knock on Tom Hanks. Love Tom Hanks, okay? Don't mishear me here. Still a cool guy. But the actual content is really confusing because all of a sudden it's starting talking about how Jesus had, had like, kids. You guys see that part of the movie? Jesus had kids, and there's a bunch of these other writings, these other Gospels, Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Mary, and all this other stuff. And you're like, oh, I never knew about all these other ancient writings, and this all must be true. Oh, my gosh. The Da Vinci Code and the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary and all of this stuff that causes so much confusion in today's world believe it or not, is the exact stuff that John, specifically John the Elder, who wrote 2 John, had to fight. Gnosticism, the Gnostic Gospels. The Gospel according to John was written by John as a response to the Gnostics who were running around saying all this crazy stuff about Jesus. He wrote that gospel to bring clarity and truth to say, no, no that's a bunch of gunk. No, that's real. That's, that's just, that's all. You made all that up. This is what is true. This is what is right. If you want to know Jesus, I ate with him. I traveled with him. I spent time with him. And this is who Jesus is. The gospel of John was written to debunk what the Da Vinci Code is based on. Fun fact of the day. Didn't know that, did ya? Now you're all going to go home and watch that movie. Don't get confused by it, though. Don't get confused by it. The reality is, though, in our world, in our lives, there are all sorts of things that do cause confusion. Okay, It's more than just our faith. Politics is confusing. It is. It's confusing. Economics, it's confusing. I mean, heck... Uh, cell phones are confusing for anybody over the age of 50 and second nature to anybody under the age of five, which is in itself confusing. We, we live in a confusing world. Let me, let, me, let me give you some things that might sound, you ever say this before? It's confusing. Why did this happen to me? That's expressing confusion. You ever said that before? Why isn't our marriage better? That's confusion. Why can't I pay my bills? Why do I struggle with mental illness? Why am I lonely? What's life really meant for? What can I count on? 
These are all questions asked by real people, by you and by me, as we express our confusion with dealing in life. There is confusion in your life. There is confusion in your world. There is confusion in my life and in my world. And there was a lot of confusion in the ancient world. And John wrote this letter, 2 John, to help clear up some of the confusion. God uses the words of people like John to help us distinguish the truth in the midst of our confusion. Let me show you. After he introduces himself, this is John the Elder. These are the, the first lines, the opening of Second John. I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children. Let me pause really quick. What, what he's using there is a metaphor for the megachurch and all of the house churches, the parent organization church. I'm writing to the chosen lady, the mother church, and all of her children, all of these Christians that are meeting and claiming the Christian faith. So it's a metaphor. I'm writing to the chosen lady and to her children, whom I love in the truth, as does everyone else who knows the truth, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace, which come from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, who will continue to live, who will continue with us, who live in the truth and love. What's John's greatest concern as he begins this letter? If you had to sum it up in one word, on the count of three, shout it out. One, two, three. Truth. Do you notice how many times it's repeated? I love in the truth. Everyone who knows the truth, the truth lives in us. Grace, mercy, and peace, which comes from God the Father. Where does that come from? From God the Father, from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, who will continue to be with us who live in truth. In the midst of the confusing ancient world, John sends a letter to the mother church and her children, all these little house churches. And he begins the letter by establishing the primacy and the importance of the truth. And for John, truth does not depend on history. It does not depend on facts. It does not depend on evolution versus science or red versus blue. It does not depend on whether you are a good person, a bad person, whether you pleased your parents and earned your parents' love or earned God's love or not. For John, the truth of Christianity depends on one thing, or rather, one person. One person. The truth depends on Jesus Christ. For John and for us, truth is not a thing, it's a person, a living, breathing, resurrected person that he ate bread with, that he traveled with and walked with. 
He is a person who brings grace and mercy and peace, who lives in the Father as the Father lives in him. John uses this beautiful word in the Gospel of John, uses it again. It's the same word here, live in. Another way of saying it is abide. That Jesus abides in the Father as the Father abides or dwells in Jesus. And according to the Gospel of John, Jesus now abides in his church, in his people, in you, just as much as you abide, dwell, and live in Jesus. The truth is a person. This is why in the Gospel of John, Jesus will make one of the most bold, outrageous claims that John remembers and wants you and I to know. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Remember that? You ever hear that before? That's from John. John believes in the truth of Jesus Christ. That in Jesus we find grace, mercy, and peace. And that in Jesus Christ we know and understand and see God the Father. Another way of saying it is like this. Christ, Jesus, is truth made flesh, made meat, meat and bones. We believe this and just celebrated it in Christmas. Whatever Jesus says is truth, for he himself is truth. So when Jesus says you're forgiven, you are forgiven. When Jesus says be healed, you're healed. When Jesus says, I love you, you really are loved. When Jesus says, you probably shouldn't do that thing you're doing because you're going to mess up your life, guess what? It's the, it's the truth. When Jesus says, you should love people the way that I love you, he speaks the truth. The life is done best living his way. In the midst of our confusion, the confusion of the early church, and the confusion that you will experience in life, John begins profoundly with one thing drawing our attention and our focus back to the heart of our Christian faith, to the person, to the grace, mercy, and peace, to the love found and known, to the truth in Jesus Christ. That's how he begins his letter. 
we're about to begin a new year. We're about to start a whole new year, new chance, new opportunities, new start, new beginning. What would it be like if we would start our new year the way that John starts his letter? With the conviction, the faith, and the commitment to the truth, to Jesus Christ to who he is and what he means for our lives and for the lives of those around us. My invitation to you is as you ring in the new year, as you're gathered with family, as you're hanging out with friends, as you're doing the whole new year type thing, as you're looking at your resolutions, maybe even more so as you set the trajectory, not only for this coming year, but the trajectory for your entire life. Begin it the way John begins his letter. With the truth of Jesus Christ and what Jesus means for you and your life. As Pastor Bob would say, amen good? Amen good. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for John's willingness to send this letter to churches and to our church, that we could receive it even today, that you would communicate through John across time and space to your mother church and to all of us, your children, that you would communicate to us and ground us in the truth of Jesus Christ, what he means for our world, and what he means for each of our lives. We confess to you so often we wrestle with measures of confusion in our life, questions that don't always have answers, questions that don't make sense. This world is a broken, confusing world. We ask in your mercy, in your grace, and in your peace that we would experience the truth of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, and his love. Ground us in the person of Jesus. We pray this not only for this coming year, but for all the rest of our lives. Jesus, we ask and we pray this according to your name and the truth therein. Amen.